0: you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn in Romans, I'm sorry, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at the last few verses of this wonderful chapter we've been exploring the last few weeks. We're going to be reading from and studying from verses 27 through 31. Let us hear the word of the Lord together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all work miracles, excuse me? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a still a more excellent way. Churches is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. You may be seated. So church this morning, I just want to uh, and, and you know it's 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 it, <laughs> I can't, the irony is not missed on me this morning when I'm about to say. First of all, if you're a guest here this morning, particularly if you're a guest here who's intending to come see uh, Aiden Tiger get baptized, let me say thank you, welcome. I'm glad you are here this morning it is an honor we counted of a sacred trust when those who would um, want to support a brother when he's getting ready to get baptized uh, and you come in here it was just a wonderful outpouring of support and I, I want to say up front my apologies for that not happening this morning that was on me um, I, uh, I, I did not get the baptistry filled up and I really do grieve the reality of that this morning um, but for that reason I hope that you will count it a trust that we will make sure it is filled up by next Sunday and uh for him to be baptized and we hope that that will not deter you from coming back and celebrating this most sacred of moments in his life next sunday during our worship service but we hope nonetheless that as you're here gathered this morning that whatever church you have chosen you would normally uh, uh be with this morning on this lord's day we pray that we can supplement that ourselves and you would walk away from here equally as encouraged by your time in the word and time in worship with god's People. So again, thank you for being here, and I uh, just want to extend my apologies for that reality this morning. Now, I say that because we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts this morning, as you can already see. And how relevant it is that this, is, this kind of thing happened providentially on this morning is not, uh, it's not escaped my attention. And uh, we'll get to that more maybe a little bit later as we get into, to get into this text. If any of you guys know um, me well, and uh, m- many of you do, you know, um, if you spend more than five minutes with me or probably any member of my family, we, um, we the, our thing in the Ag News is what? What's Say it we'll out. Come on. Soccer. Soccer. You know soccer's our deal, right? And um, soccer's a big deal for us uh, for a lot of different reasons, but we really have lo- learned to love the sport. Um, we have personally we've been blessed by it. Um, And in so many different ways and not the least of which is frankly the culture of the sport that we've getting to meet so many people from all kinds of walks of life And it's just been a blessing to us because one thing that soccer has that other sports do not have. Sorry American sports fans which I am I watch football I do all the night all the things, but um, It is truly an international sport. It is it is the most expansive sport in the in the in the um, in the world and uh, and You know one of our dreams it out there because we, lo- we we enjoy this so much as we hope one day we'll take our kids to europe and show them some of the more you know popular and and and, and patent ways that's how much we hope one day we will do that but on another note the reason why we like soccer and i'm like really honestly being big believers of team sports in our home is that um it's a great example of what it means to work as a team uh, it's it, you can do a lot of there's a lot of team sports. I, mean, I grew up as a big basketball fan But you can take one or two players add them to a basketball team and you can make a big difference You cannot do that with soccer You have to I mean you can have a guy who can kick the tar out of a ball and get it in the back of the net But if he doesn't have ten other players supplementing what he's doing He's not gonna have many opportunities to do that. I can assure you that having watched as much as I have and whatever else and so one of the reasons that um, that's so important for us is we just love the fact that it teaches our boys teaches us that there's value in the community of the soccer, not just the individual talent of it. But it's never been our goal to help our kids become all-stars. It's always been about this is one element of growing their character, growing their responsibility to, to love and, and, and participate and play their role, even when their role doesn't feel like it's a very satisfying role on the team. And so that's been a really important uh, a thing that we've been trying to teach our kids over these last few years. That's one element of it. Now, when we get into this text today, we see that that same idea is very much true about the church, that every member plays a role, and it's a vital role. And this is what Paul has been kind of unpacking for us in this, in this chapter 12. And so this morning, I just have one simple thought that's going to kind of conclude our, our, our study of chapter 12 before we get into the love chapter next week, and it's this. Every member of a local church, this is a truth that I just want all of us to behold and think about well. And if you're a member, if you're a guest here this morning, hopefully this will encourage you as you go back to the whatever church you would normally fellowship with. But here we go. Every member of a local church has a gift that God has given them for the upbuilding of the church. It's just that simple. This is what Paul's been un- unpacking here. It's not about each member finding those extraordinary gifts that they're supposed to experience, but it's about the church in Christ... Using the gifts that God has given them, so that the church may be built up. Every member should participate in some capacity in that regard. And so, these past two Sundays, we've been dealing with chapter twelve. We broke it up in a couple of different pieces, verses one through um, verses one through eleven. Basically, kind of set out the whole kind of picture of it, and it gives us this idea of that the, that we, the gifts are given to us for the glory of God. So it's got to be about Jesus. If the gifts are not being used to bring attention to the fame and glory of Jesus, then they're not gifts that we should put a lot of attention to, or any attention to, for that matter. And they're there also for the building up of the church. And so that's what we see there, right? Now, concerning these spiritual gifts, verse 1, just to go back and remind us of that, um, the formal spirituality that you are involved with, that's just mute idols. They're just about static experiences. That does not bring glory to Jesus, verses one through three. No, what brings glory to Jesus, and it can proclaims Jesus as Lord, is that these varieties of gifts given to the church so that they may be built up as a people who are one, yet many. That's how the Lord does his work. And then we kind of continue that idea, and he says, this is what you're like, church, in verses 20, um, I'm sorry, verses 12 through 26. Last week, Your purpose not only is to bring glory to Jesus and build up the church, but you do so as an interdependent, mutually loving membership who works and seeks the value of each member's unique contribution to the church so that you can seek the common good for all the members, the common good of our neighbors, and more importantly, the glory of Jesus. So you do this, and so the church is a body And you know, like we said last week, right? When you have one part of the body that's just not functioning right, you know when you go to the doctor and the doctor says, we need to deal with this. Right, because ultimately it doesn't just affect that one member of your body. It starts to affect other aspects of your body. And we all know that more than we, especially the older we get, yeah? (laughs) Amen, yeah? I'm getting ready. I'll be turning 48 here in a couple weeks. I know that it's this year the doctor... With some really important realities in front of me back in April and uh, praise be to God for that and the Lord's been working in that but it's true and so what Paul's going to do in these final verses of chapter 12 is he's going to press that illustration out of we are the body right and so you see it right there in verse uh, verse 27 now you are the body so he's he's saying all that he's just talked about the body he's coming back summarizing it and he's saying you church you Corinthian church are the body of Christ and you are individually members of it in other words what he's saying is you are the body of Christ right you are the, the, the meaning of this right here is very simple it's emphatic he wants them that to, the tone of this is emphatic you church you church are the body of Christ And now now think about this in terms of what he's saying to the Corinthian church. You're not just a body, like you're part, like this one church in Corinth is part of the much larger universal church. This is why we got to make sure we always keep things in perspective. We, We, in this room, do not represent all that the church is globally. And we need to humble ourselves about that, right? No, because God's got something glorious in terms of how he expands the gospel across all parts of our world. So he's telling that to the Corinthian church. But he's also saying all the members of that church are part of that church and they have a member because you because there's some problems in this church where some people are being more valued than others we, we, we dealt with that right and so now he's saying this is the vision every member of the local church is a vital member of that local church and every local church is a vital member of the global church and so what we do here not, doesn't just affect what happens here at, at you know at 1004 Hazelwood Drive, oh, right here in Smyrna. But in this room right now, we got people who have driven here from across Nashville. And so just that this little church is impacting even different parts of our own city that has over 2 million people in it now. And that's just one church. Out of how many other churches in this city, they're doing the same thing, and some of them much larger than us. And so the point that we, Paul wants to stress here in this very first verse, and I just want to make sure we don't miss it, is that the body of Christ, he's making this kind of transitory statement that I think would cause all the readers, no matter if you're part of the Corinthian church or not, to stop and take pause and go, yeah, I am part of the body of Christ. This is what every believer should be reading when they see this. I am part of the body of Christ, and we are part of the body of It's a both-and. It's a universal, global church thing, and it's also a local church thing that Paul wants to place in front of us here. And so because of this, what Paul's going to tease out, I'm going to look at four things out of these next few verses. Four things. Three of them will be reminders. One, two, and three will be reminders. And the last one will be a command. Okay? So let's just kind of take a look at this and kind of start making our way through the text. Um, The first reminder, number one, is God gives... All spiritual gifts to the church. Again, we're kind of summarizing everything we've kind of been doing in the last couple of weeks, but we're kind of putting a nice fine point on it this morning. Paul doesn't want the church to get this wrong. It's important that the church doesn't get this wrong. God, number one, gives all spiritual gifts to the church. Emphasis on all. In verse 28, God is appointed in the church, first apostles, prof, uh, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, right? then miracles then prophets i'm sorry then uh, gifts of healing helping administrating various kinds of tongues so this very first observation it's a very simple point but it's a very important point because oftentimes you and i when we don't feel spiritually attuned we go out there and we start to try to figure out what i you know kind of figure out like what do i you know what's my gifting what is my thing and i gotta find my place in the church and god goes no just like, he's going to point the things, and yes, he has given you some things to do, and, but it's really important here that it's God who gives us our spiritual gifts. And he'll give them to us when we need them. And when he says that we, he's given this church. We've said this already a couple of times over the last couple of weeks. It, it is God who gifts the church everything the church needs, globally and locally. Not the members of the church that bring the gifts although the members may be one of the gifts. And that's kind of what he illustrates here in a second. It's not the members who bring the gifts, but it may be the members who actually are the gifts themselves at times because it's God who gives them. You and I just can't presume that we walk up in here, hey, I'm a gift to this church, right? I know we've met those people, right? That's not what we need to be thinking about here. It's like God appoints these gifts. He's sovereign over these gifts, right? The word for the church here right he, he says um now you are the body of christ uh, verse 20 i'm sorry god has appointed in the church and the word church here is universal church it's not it's the idea he has in mind here it's the whole church everywhere that god is expanding and the gospel is going to and so he gives the whole church all these these gifts and again they will then settle out in the local context of course um as they as they do whatever we're to make of this list we're about to study which is where we're going to spend the lion's share of our time on this morning it must not get past us. It's God who does it. It's God who gives the gifts. It's God who does as he wishes sovereignly in the church himself. That is the most important point you and I can take away from this first introductory idea that Paul, again, he's summarizing in some sense everything he's been talking about in, in chapter 12. So that's our first reminder. God gives all the gifts. What does that mean for you and I? A couple thoughts come to mind. Take a breath, church. I mean, there are times, just even as we've already noticed, there are times the Lord will give us, and I'll talk about this more, he gives us gifts as we need them. And sometimes he doesn't give certain local expressions all the gifts that they need at the time they need them, but God will give them when we need them. Or he'll give them to another church so that church can, we can get that. It's it's just part of it. There was times early on in our church where we wanted to minister to families that had you know, more special needs families. We just didn't have the capacity to do so within a, in a school that we were renting. It just wasn't going to fit the needs of those families. So we had to help them go to a church that could do that better. That's what God does. And that's why we need to be humble and go, we can't provide everything here, but we can be who we are and God will use it. And maybe that's the reason why some of you are here this morning, who knows? That's our first reminder. The second reminder is this. Every member has a spiritual gift. Simple. Every member has a spiritual gift. And he says, and he outlines these gifts, at least in a broad perspective, in verse 28. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Then, very important then, there's a separation here. Miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. One of the issues we got to deal with here in this text is there seems to be why did Paul enumerate those first three, right, apostles, prophets, and teachers? Then he then lists off, you know, a litany of other gifts to the church. Um, so that I do not spend more time here than I should, I just would want to direct you to some thoughts that a New Testament professor I had at seminary says that I thought was very helpful in making my assessment myself, um, he takes notice of that shift from gifted people, one, two, and three. So again, sometimes God gives us people as gifts, so apostles, prophets, and teachers. And then there's a difference between maybe gifted actions or activities. And so here's what he says. This is the whole does not, as Schreiner notes, represent a settled or continuing gift reality. In other words. This is not a list that we should go in here and start trying to pick away and say, oh, well, this is a settled issue, this is going to be always in the church, or hey, this is going to be continuing in the church. Rather, he continues, the combination of the enumeration of those first three, right, and the shift from gifted people to gifts in general indicates that Paul wants the reader to make a, diff- make a, make a distinction between foundational gifts that are vital to the church and maybe more congregational gifts that are lived out and given in various capacities in the church. Does that make sense? He's, he's saying there's, there's one that's foundational. They all matter, but there's some that are more foundational, and there's some that are just more congregational, and they vary from church to church based on the context in which they are given. So, all gifts are important. They're vital, but some are foundational. I agree with Schreiner on this, and other commentators that I sought to find some understanding on that, seem to to indicate the same thing. And so he says that these foundational, these first three signal these foundational gifts, they explain, or they explicate his words, the gospel, which is clearly more fundamental to the church than maybe those other gifts are. Where those other gifts may come and go during seasons and contexts, those first three gifts, because they're rooted in the gospel, never go. I won't explain what I mean by that because that doesn't mean we have apostles today. It doesn't mean all those kind of things. We're going to get into that. But you're just making a distinction between the lists. God gives people gospel gifts to make sure the gospel is the foundation of the church. But then He gives the whole church to minister to the church in all these other wonderful ways. And so, let's consider the two parts on their own merit. Number one, the foundational gifts. The foundational gifts. You see here, he says there's particularly three gifted people, kinds of people. Offices, you might use that word, although I want to be, hold that very loosely, right? For the church, and he gives them at various times and places. Apostles, prophets, teachers, is what Paul outlines here. And I'll make sure we say it again. Men, or anyone for that matter, do not elect themselves for these offices. They just don't god gifts them i want to make sure we say that when we started grace church the lord sent me from providence to be the first pastor and really the initial elder of the church and though we had suspicions that the lord had gifted us with some men those initial days to be our first elders we took our time to make sure that that was true and right. And these guys know that, who they are. Josh and Golan were the initial two that supported me in this. They were on our leadership team, but they, we, they were very careful and they were all patient to make sure that the right people were there. And then, and then the, the church themselves would say, yes, God's gifted us these men. And you did. And you said it. And you said it clearly. And so you can trust the Holy Spirit in that. So men don't elect themselves. I didn't elect myself to this role. Two things happened in this early day. One is, I submitted myself to the former pastor, the pastors at our former sending church. And I submitted myself to that church for that call. I submitted myself to the denominational people and said, hey, do you think this is right? Do you think this is good? And I want to make sure they said this. Then, when we started the church and we formalized our membership, the church itself extended that call to me to be their pastor. Why? Because I don't and no man should select themselves for an office. The Spirit works inside the church through the ministry of the Word, And these men do this. And so if you're in here and you're suspecting a call to ministry in some capacity, the first place you start is be a good church member. Settle in. Be faithful. Learn. Find places to serve. You know who I'm going to be looking for? You know who our elders are going to be looking for for new future elders or perhaps someone called to ministry? Where are you serving? Where are you eager to be involved in the ministry of the church? Particularly as it relates to shepherding God's people. Now, the church has historically understood this first office, this first people, apostles, as an inaugural office, not a continuing office. We'll make sure we are clear about that. Um, and history is not short on men and women, unfortunately, who are, have presumed that they can self-install themselves into some kind of modern-day apostle. Okay. Now, I'll get to more of that here in a minute. So, but we, we recognize a distinction between apostle and even prophets and teachers here in a second. Okay. So the apostles were this office that God gave to these disciples, right? But then the prophets and teachers seem to be kind of a like closely related category, um, often understood as those who are continuing with gospel gifts to that to, to, are usually associated with the office as a of pastor, elder, overseer, um, bishop. Again, more on that to come. But that's the difference between the, the, the list itself. Apostles seems to be something different. And we know this historically and the church has recognized something different between apostles and even these other two that are listed here. So let's talk a little bit about apostles. You know where the apostles are. Jesus selected 12 disciples. He walked with them. He taught them. He did ministry with them. He sent them out to proclaim the gospel, cast out demons. And, And they weren't just limited to these 12 disciples minus Judas who betrayed Jesus eventually Matt, um, Matthias was added to that number in Acts chapter 1 right before Pentecost but it also includes Paul who had a vision of Jesus, resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus and so their ministry was an inaugural ministry, I use that word a lot that's in concert with the extraordinary activity of the Holy Spirit during a specific time in the, in the, in the, in the, in the work of, of New Testament age so as this New Testament age is coming in to bear with Christ's coming, this apostle, these apostles are there to set up the whole thing and show how Christ is King and Lord over his church, and they're establishing the church. The primary criteria for apostles were those who had literally or visibly seen Jesus, the resurrected Christ. That's why Paul fits into that category, because Jesus came to him on the road of Damascus. So what this does mean is that, wait for the punchline, there are no apostles today i know it's a shocker for most of us in here right but there are lots of people out there who presume that there's always these modern day apostles who give themselves and they uh, they reveal themselves over time but the problem is to just follow the logic follow pay attention to what they say versus what the word says and what's revealed there one of some of the ones one of the ones that are just um, most difficult is there's people who come in and say and they, they completely alter the bible altogether. In various ways, there are people like in know, that's speaking in within the Christian world, right? You got even modern day called the New Apostolic Reformation. I mentioned it here before, and there's lots of names that go along with that. And these are like 80s and 90s modern day prophets. They would I mean apostles who say, "Hey, we're ushering in a new age for the church," and they're looking to the eschatological age, and they're very highly involved in. Various things, so by the way, if you want to know why our church doesn't sing Bethel songs and Hillsong songs and things like that It's because they're all associated with these groups and though they might sing a lot about Jesus I just certainly don't want someone going down a YouTube trail and find out what these churches where these come from and they go Wait a minute. That's some wackadoodle stuff and they think that's okay, and it's not So there are no modern-day apostles Now that does not mean that there's not that the church imse- itself is not apostolic Right, because now there are no offices apostles, but now the church carries out the apostolic mission of God to proclaim the good news to the nations, and that our def, what defines our mission is that we carry the gospel to the uttermost and share the good news with whoever the Lord leads us to, and to the degree that the church is participating in that, sending missionaries, starting new churches, um, whatever that may be. Yeah, we are still apostolic in that sense, but it's not an office. It's not reserved to a select group of people. By the way, this is why us Protestants are Protestant, because we recognize that Rome had basically said there's another apostle, and that apostle, whoever was in Rome, was the apostle over the church, and they got to say what was right and good for the church, but then we saw the abuses of that, and how it it, it went so far away from from the scriptures, because it eventually when you invest that kind of power in one man or a few men or whoever that might be, you you end up getting so far away from Scripture. And so the Protestants were like, no, sola scriptura. It didn't mean history didn't matter. It didn't mean that we don't listen to church history. It just means that the Scriptures are the foundation for what is true and right and what our mission is as the church. There is no office of apostle today that needs to be filled. The church universal, though, is under the banner of Christ, yielded to the word of God, is the apostolic witness. So do we, do we understand what I'm saying here? So Paul gave apostles in that initial age for the establishing of this new covenant age, but the church itself carries on that witness ourselves. And now he talks about prophets. Now this is one of those ones that, it's, it's kind of an enigma. What, how do prophets, because there's not a lot of, of references in the New Testament about prophets, but there are prophets in the New Testament, not just in the Old Testament. And so we have to try to figure out what this is. Is this a continuing gift? Is this a continuing reality? And it's kind of of yes and kind of no. In terms of it being an office, it's not an office that the church itself recognizes, and we don't recognize prophets who get to establish themselves to be the ones who speak on behalf of the church. That's what a prophet typically would do, or speak on behalf of God. I I like what John Calvin says here. I think it's extremely helpful because I think he parses it really, really well. Those, speaking of what, who prophets were, they were those who were blessed with the unique gift of dealing with scripture, not only by interpreting it, but also by the wisdom they showed in making it meet the needs of the hour. So they weren't just merely teachers of the word. They knew how to take the word of God and they knew how to apply it to the specific context that the church was experiencing in that moment. So in that New Testament age, but even we can see this in the Old Testament prophets, yes? Yes that God would send Isaiah, he would send Ezekiel for that moment to speak the word of God, to show them to keep their hope in Christ, keep their hope in the redemptive promises of God, but that was for that moment for those people. That's why we gotta be very careful that we don't read Ezekiel and read certain parts of Daniel as if somehow that has something to do with the end of the age, because it doesn't. They were for that moment, for the continuing of those people to hold on to the redemptive promises of God, right? A commentator, uh, last name Thistleton, says something very similar to Calvin. The prophets were men particularly endowed with the ability to pro- of proclamation of the revealed truth in relation to a pastoral situation. So he agrees with Calvin, and so he says the distinct so the distinguishing mark between prophets and teachers here would be that they were just those people given to the church to be able to speak the truth of God's word to that particular context so that the church would not be derailed by all of this nonsense that would happen in the culture. So in some sense, that was just people who could just, uh, they were keenly, uh, had the keen ability to apply the scripture and its truth to us. And we could say, so then in that sense, there is some very much a prophetic reality that comes in preaching. We asked why we, and that's why we with some of the Puritans would say, this was the art of prophecy. They would call preaching the art of prophecy because they saw a distinction between preaching of the word and the the instruction of the people through classes or whatever other way other ways they saw a distinction here so in some sense our reformed forebears would say what that there is no office of prophecy but there's a gift that continues on to the point that it's truth-bearing in a particular context does that make sense that's what we're trying to see here. That's what Paul says. So Paul gives us this second group of people that God gifts the church. They know how to bring the truth of God's word to lay, bear on people's hearts and minds in a particular context. And so we can think about this today, yeah? We can think about those people who are just particularly gifted at speaking to a particular context for the church today, not just maybe in this church, but maybe in the church in America. And then we just, they're trusted voices. Many of us listen to Bodie Bochum, and he just knows how to speak very prophetically about the realities of various issues that are going on in the world. We all, many, there, are, there are many people out there doing very similar things. I use him as one example of that. So does he, is he a prophet? Not by all, but does he have certain prophesying skills through the preaching of God's word and applying it to a context? Yeah, I think that's what Paul has in mind here in this context. So unlike teachers, which we'll take up here in just a second, the prophet's job was to speak and direct the church in its christian piety in its mission to bring clarity and to that practice in those very local places so what in some sense it's what the normal responsibility of the preaching of the word on sunday mornings would probably do that's why we would say there's even though we'd say any, any all of our elders should preach and teach but to be honest with you the, the pre, there is a little bit of a distinction between preaching and teaching because there's a a little bit of a difference there. So men like Barnabas in the New Testament were were likely prophets, recognized as prophets. They they could speak the gospel in that particular situation. James also would be considered of that probably, that they were more prophetic voices during that time. So to sum up, apostles, their temporary office given for a specific age, but then you got this gifts of people who have the gifts, the skills to prophesy and teach Would be that so let's talk about teachers just for a second and we'll move on teachers were those who would explain they were likely the ones who would dig into the old testament show the context of these promises of the gospel that arose out of redemptive history and show how god had been revealing these things since genesis and all the way through they were really good with tradition and and writing and passing along to help the truth of the gospel become more fruitful in the life of the church so, so Paul saw a close relationship between teaching and tradition here. Now, when we say tradition, we're not talking about just tradition in any fashion or form, but it's like they just knew how to say, show how the, the gospel would continue to bear more fruit and become more visible through the lived church and the lived people of God. And they could show how it was being revealed through God's covenantal actions towards his people in every age. And so this office if you want to call an office, is probably the most closely related to those offices of pastor, elder, bishop, overseer. We think probably these last two have some bearing on those offices that we would say here. We at at Grace Church recognize that these, you see in the New Testament, pastor, overseer, elder, uh, bishop, they're like four words for the same office, but yet you can see some distinctions among their gifting even when you look at those words more specifically. And so we understand those titles, and they recognize a variety of responsibilities that come in. So our elders preach and teach. Some preach more than others. Some teach more than others. Some teach in ways that are more counseling. Some teach more like Sunday school classes. Some help me preach. They're not all doing the same things all the time. Some are doing some administration because they're overseeing, right? Sometimes bishops are leading they kind of see the whole organization and they're trying to help move the thing forward. Some are elders, so they're just, the they're just shepherds. I mean, they're kind of they're taking, they're the ones who are spiritually mature in the church. And they just set a great example for the church. So you can see the differences among those four terms, but we recognize there's really just one office. That's Baptists and Presbyterians, but there's just one office there. So like Calvin, these offices make up more prophetic and teaching aspects in terms of how they apply the scriptures to a particular context among the particular people that's why god gives us these men for these offices to the church so I, i i tried to spend a lot of time there because i wanted to make sure we didn't miss this what's important is we distinguish these three foundational gifts and and how they play out in the building up of the church So, that the church, when it functions in all the other gifts, remains grounded in the gospel. Now, we talk about foundational gifts. Let's spend a couple moments speaking about those congregational gifts. Everybody then, notice how he says then, makes that distinction there gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. It's a short list, but it's not an expansive list. And there's lots a place that we can look to for lists of spiritual gifts. Romans 12, verse 6 and following. Romans 4, I'm sorry, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. And so what Paul is doing here is kind of spending a broad sketch of the nature of how the church ministers to each other here. And so he kind of uses these four or five things to help kind of give a broad sketch that you might could take those other lists and actually put them up under these. And so their first broad scope is miracles and gifts of healing you think, well, do miracles still happen today? Well, we know they happen in this age, but miracles are always happening in ways that we don't see, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're in this ecstatic kind of things. These gifts, um, miracles and gifts of healing, were linked in verses 9 and 10 with the idea of, uh, of, of prayer. It was linked with prayer in verse 9 and 10. You can go back and see that here Um, We saw this a couple weeks ago. Another faith by the same point to another gifts of healing into one spirit, another working out of miracles. So Paul puts these things together. Probably what he has in mind here, right, is that there's a kind of supernatural power by the members that's rooted in a supernatural faith that was happy to see God move among his church. And that God was happy when his people cried out like that to move among his people in his church. And that God is free to do so. And so these were gifts bestowed upon the church, not gifts the church discovered in themselves. They are gifts <laughs> bestowed upon the church in God's timing to do that. There are, times, like, there are times when a church just grows for no reason whatsoever, and we don't know why. But God preaches the word. I mean, a man preaches the word, brings glory to Jesus, and all of a sudden, hundreds, maybe thousands, come to know Christ and grow that church. The same man, another different man could be doing the exact same thing for decades and not see more than a handful of people come. J.C. Ryle is one of those examples of that. He preached week in and week out to a people who hated him. And it was decades before you saw the fruit of that. So the point is here, miracles and gifts are not some things that we go conjure up on our own, right? that we do according to our own wishes because we can exercise God's plans for the church. No, no, he, we... we, we we stole bold faith in Christ and we trust that he's going to bear that fruit out however he wishes in this church in his church then there's a second category of helping and administrating those kind of go together too and not really quite, most commentators are not really clear exactly what the range of meaning is for Paul here but it probably indicates gifts of charity for that helping aspect to support members in need and And probably the second thing for administration, good leaders who have maybe organization skills and administration skills. And so as a church grows, like our church, these kinds of gifts are needed more and more of helping and administrating. That's important that we keep recognizing people who have that. And we should pray for these kinds of things. I mean, again, just this morning with the whole, my own failure to be prepared for baptism this morning. We need people who have more gifts of administration. Now to say this, like the Lord's doing that slowly but surely revealing the right people. I'll give a couple of shout outs. I hope they don't feel me putting them on the spot here, but I'm going to do it anyway. The Lord's given us Gabe. Gabe Hinkle is one of our elders. He's got a particular gift towards administration and we're we're just now, we're going to explore that and I hope he knows what he's about to get into. And then this past week, I get to sit in the hospital with Sister Barbara back here. Just hearing her heart and how she served the church and the things that she sees that, man, I don't even pay attention to on a given Sunday. But God's given us these people, and, and she's a newer member to our church. And her experience with children's ministry and PK and other things, how much she's going to be a benefit to, to Tom and, and Katie in and their ministries. So God gives us, he gives us ministries of, of, of miracles and healing. He gives us gifts of helping and administrating, and he gives us those with various kinds of tongues. Now, this is the one everyone gets all wrapped up in. And Paul devotes a whole chapter to this in chapter 14, which we'll get to later on. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. But it's interesting in both lists that he gives here, the one back in earlier in chapter 12, and this one right here, he puts the gift of tongues last. And a lot of people see that's a nod as he's trying to put the Corinthian church in check, because this is the one they were most infatuated with. Oh man, Lord, give me some give me the ability to speak other languages. Or Lord, give me some kind of spiritual language. That's man, that man, you know God's at work if you're experiencing those kinds of things. Um, and so there was an infatuation among the Corinthians in this. And so it's it's it should not miss us that Paul puts these this gift of tongues at the last of both the lists we've been reading through here in chapter 12. So he's de-emphasizing this fanaticism that often comes gets the focus sometimes instead of the normal means of grace of word ministry, prayer ministry, every member ministry. Now, the historic way that most people would say this is happening here, most church fathers and pastors and theologians, that the kind of tongues that Paul has in mind here are those tongues of other nations, not spiritual tongues. They were just like we would see in um, Pentecost, and so probably what happens here is that God gives the church the ability to send people who just have this gift at cross-cultural, multilingual ministry. So this, Maureen, this, we have people who are trained in ESL. Man, we want those gifts to be used in the church. Maybe these gifts may be used in some other context besides this church. We don't know. But the Lord wants these things. He uses these things. And so Paul wants to say these are real gifts to the church, but they must align with God's gospel purposes. Always. So then the third reminder. And then we'll get into the command and we'll finish up. Every gift is needed for the health of the church. This is verses 29 through 30. This is the punchline. This is what Paul's been trying to get after the entire time. he, He asks this series of rhetorical questions. All of us know the answers as we're reading the questions, do we not? Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in with tongues? Do all interpret? So what's Paul's main point here? They're all valuable. They all play a part in God's unfolding redemptive plan. And every member needs to play their part no matter what part they have been sovereignly given in the process. These rhetorical questions are Paul coming back and going, "Don't get wrapped up and think that somehow or another you're less because you don't experience this, or don't think you're haughty because you're experiencing this and they don't are experiencing that." Not all gifts, to the church, all gifts to the church are important. Some are foundational. Some are more congregational. But the no is implied here that every member should come into this place and feel like your role your participation here matters to the mission of this church what paul is confronting is any kind of pride that might arise in the life of our own hearts here this morning that tempts us to compare our gifting with others gifting even as the man who comes and preaches on sunday morning i want you to know I never, I will never want the heart to say that somehow or another my role in this church is more important than any other person's role in this church. I've been God has just called me to this with other men in this church, and that's right. There's, we shouldn't venerate one gifting or the other. Although we should recognize, as Paul does here, the difference between foundational gifts and congregational gifts. Does that make sense? You see what we're trying to drive at here? Their gifts, our gifts, whatever they may be, are bestowed on us. They didn't emerge like we don't. We don't just go out here and just. Just make them up on our own and we don't necessarily need to be focusing on the fantastic gifts because those fantastic gifts give us the appearance of spirituality. No, every member contributes to the good of the whole no matter how significant and friends, no matter how insignificant the gift may be. The amount of the gift, the visible fanaticism or fantastic appearance of the gift means nothing to the gift's value itself or the person exercising the gift friends may that be our heart here this morning every last one of us playing our part and recognizing in God's good providence he's brought you here to play your part for this season and so then last then he brings this command does earnestly desire the higher gifts my point is straight from the text but earnestly desire the higher gifts. At first reading, you might be thinking Paul's coming back on everything he just said. Right? So there are higher gifts, Paul. There are those who are better gifts here. But when we carefully understand Paul's argument throughout chapter 12, we see a couple of things. Number one, some gifts, as I've said already, are foundational, but all should long for the gift, and all should long for those gifts in the sense of they offer us more clarity in the gospel. Every member should want the foundational gifts, not necessarily to exercise them, but should say, oh man, thank you for the person that you've given us for that these people and the teachers and the Sunday school teachers, the kids' classes who are are teaching our kids sound doctrine and our youth classes who are teaching our kids sound doctrine. He's saying you should value, you should desire those higher gifts because they are keeping your heart and mind on Jesus. But all members are gifted. And the gifts are distributed among the church so that all of us play a part. All of us play a role in that. The greater gifts are always, no matter what they are, they're always those that build the church up in Christ. That's the greater gifts. Whatever builds the church up in Christ is the greater gift. So that means every gift given to the church is building up and shot Christ. So Paul is saying the greater gifts is. I will show you still in a more excellent way. Now, if you want to hear about that, you're gonna to have to come back next week. Okay. Our brother Tom's gonna to be bringing this message next week. I'm so excited about that. And I've encouraged him to basically bring the message and just offer bear hugs afterwards in the love chapter. It's gonna be awesome. Okay. Why is this important? Because the more excellent way of the gifts God gives is that we embody, as we said several weeks ago, and what we're going to expand on next week, the love of Christ for his church and his church's love for each other and for Jesus. So let's pray with that in mind and prepare ourselves for the Lord's table this morning.